Our theme tonight is called Going Through the Motions of Worship. That's not just a message for our Sunday night crowd. It's for our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a.m., p.m., in between, whenever it may be. All of us. We need to be careful that our our worship, even though it may be consistent and, and it may be even religious of every week, we just need to make sure that we're not going through the motions. And uh, it was kind of funny. I, I was going to show you a video of uh, a comedian talking about raising hands in church. I've showed it to you before a long time ago, but I was going to try to make it work, but uh, evidently God doesn't want it to be played. So... Uh, Thanks to technology and my limited ability, um, the purpose of the the exercise or the purpose of the video was to show you that uh, there's no doubt there's a lot of different ways that people interpret worship. I don't know if you picked up even on one of the the singers today. You know, he was talking about how some of us, when we have a group like Jordan River or we have the AU students over here, there are some people that will. You know, they'll do the, the carry the TV pose where they just put their hands out right like this. And there are some that may go even wider, like I'm going to fly. Maybe even some will just do the, the football field goal, whatever it may be. And some of you will clap. And I got fussed at today by my pew buddy. Uh, Donna wanted to make sure that I was clapping on those songs. Knee slapping wasn't enough. Sometimes... Tapping and toe tapping is not enough. Sometimes you got to put your hand. And you know what? That that's okay because for some people, to them that's not worship, and to some people it is. But again, we don't get hung up on how we worship. The only main thing is is that we worship. And the thing is, is that throughout the ages, churches have been split, divided, torn apart, relaunched replanted, started over fights considering the type of worship, the type of music, the type of preaching, which translation is being used for the Bible, and and the way, what is the correct way to lead worship? Some might say, well, I want to go to a, a Pentecostal pew jumping church. And some other people say, well, that just takes away from everything. I just want to sit and just take it in. Whatever it may be, I'm not going to judge you if you are one or the other. But as we look at this passage tonight, it's time to quit looking at what's wrong with worship and seek to find ways to make it right and pleasing God. Because I got news for you and I got news for myself as well. I've told you this before and I know you've heard it, but worship's not about you. Not about me. It's not about my preferences. Are there some songs that, that I don't understand and I, I can't, I can't go for? Absolutely. Are there some songs if I hear again, I want to put a rusty nail through my arm? There's some of those songs too. But you know what? It doesn't matter what I like or don't like. You know, if, if we want to be like that, we're just going to, we're going to do away with, with all the music and all the preaching and we're just going to have a jukebox up here. And you can come in and you can put your tithe and you can select what song you want. You can select which preacher you want. You can select what version you want. And everything will be fine, right? Everybody will be happy. No, that's not what we do. But the thing is, is, as we see tonight, it's not as much 
what we do or how we do it, but who we do it for and why we're doing it. And so hopefully for those of you that are here tonight, this is not, this is not one of those toe-stepping messages, but I'm saying your toes will get stepped on just as mine have. But just because we're here at Sunday night doesn't make us any better than those aren't. And just because we are here on Sunday night doesn't mean we got something better than somebody else. It just means that we are in a place to worship God. Not only individually, but corporately. Because you realize my worship is only enhanced by each one of you that are in here tonight. And you know it because you are here that your worship is enhanced because of of other things. You don't get to hear this type of music and this type of piano and keyboard playing at home. You might play a CD, you might turn on your jukebox, but there's nothing like seeing two ladies of God using their gifts to praise the Lord or some pastor up here stumbling through a passage or trying to get a computer to work until the person that is really gifted with it shows up and basically says, okay, I'm here. <laughs> And when she was up there, I said, I know, Tristan, you want me to get out of this chair so bad, but I just can't. I was on a mission, and I failed miserably. But here, as we take a look at the final book of the Old Testament, we see Malachi addressing God's people on how they should worship God. As a matter of fact, Malachi teaches us how to properly worship God by telling us what not to do. I have learned a lot in life about hearing about what I shouldn't do. I, I, I always told people about seminary. When I first got out of college, I thought, I do not want another four years of school. I, I, you don't need a seminary degree to preach. And, and there are some people, I mean, you, technically you don't, but you know what? I took a year off and I realized that I, I was still wet behind the ears. I'm still wet behind the ears, by the way. But the thing is, is that I learned a valuable lesson of seminary. I learned that not only do you, to, do you learn more, you network with people that are doing the same thing that you're doing, and you can learn from their mistakes before you make them yourselves. That's valuable. I'm not saying that I'm mistakeless, because I have got plenty. And I'm sure some of you wouldn't mind telling me which ones they are. But the thing is, is that God wants us to worship him. And if we're worshiping him, we're doing it right, okay? But I just want to make sure that we're doing it really right. We're doing it for the right reasons and we're focusing on the right things. So as we open up God's word, we see that his heart is to correct our worship and to revive those whose worship have grown stale and powerless and just simply religious of going through the motions. So the first thing we see as we look at Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, we see that going through the motions of worship dishonor God's name. Dishonor God's name. Now look. When I say some things, I am not being critical. I'm just saying because a lot of churches are like this. But you know what? Do we really need bulletins on Sunday morning? We know what's coming up. We know what's going to be next unless we change something. If something has changed, people want to know why. 
But I'm not saying the bulletins are evil, but I'm just saying we do pretty much the same format every day. doesn't make it wrong, but I'm just saying it would be very easy to get stuck in a rut of format. This is where I stand up. This is where I sit down. This is where he begs people to bring money. This is where we do this. This is where we do that. And then by the time we get to the end of the service, we've done everything we've done every week and we go home. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying, couldn't there be more to that? Look, I'm telling you what. I love pizza. Look at me. I love pizza. I love good pizza. I don't like Domino's anymore because as a youth pastor, I had a steady diet of it for years, and now I think I'm allergic to it. But I love a good pizza. And so when I, I, I can, like the other night, we went, instead of going out and getting pizza, we got one of the $3.50 Red Baron pizzas. I'm not sponsoring them, by the way. $3.50 for a pizza. You can't beat that. And it was good. It was filling. And we moved on. I thought, hey, we saved some money this week. But next week, if we go to the store, I mean, not the store, but if we go to the restaurant and get the good pizza, woo! it's still pizza. It's just better. <laughs> I'm even guilty of this at times, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I walk in here thinking it's another worship service. Another piece of pizza. Another $3.50 piece of pizza. And you know what? When I come in with that attitude, that's usually what I get. It's not, it's not his fault. It's mine. But if we come here and we are hungry to hear God's word and we are hungry to sing his praises, it doesn't matter whether we are clapping, singing, pew hopping or just sitting there with a frozen look on our face. If it is meaning something to us, it makes it so much more worth it. Verse 12. Well, let's just read verses 6 through 14 of chapter 1. Verse verse 6 says, The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priest, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. So if I am your father and master, where are the honor and the respect I deserve? Just go ahead and let you know, God's about ready to lay the smack down on him. He says, You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? He says, you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves respect. But when you give blind animals and sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to animals that we are crippled and diseased. Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's army. So go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you, but when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Ask the Lord of heaven's armies. How I wish one of you, just one of you, would... Shut the temple doors so that these worthless, worthless 
sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by people of all other nations from the morning and all night. All around the world they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you, now when he's saying you, he's saying, but you Israelites, you my chosen people, you my children, but you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You are saying that it's right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord and you turn up your noses at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Ask the Lord. Verse 14. Cursed is the cheat. <laughs> wow, he just says it. Cursed is the person who cheats, the cheater. Cursed is the cheater who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Harold, we need to save this sermon for a tithing emphasis, all right? Because it's coming up. <laughs> I'm just picking, but it, it's, it is what it is. The scripture says what has happened. Number one, we see that sin hardens the human heart. When we have sin in our life, it doesn't matter whether we are blood-bought sin and we are, we are bought by the blood of Christ. Sin can come into our life and stifle and choke out our fellowship with God. Or for those that don't know God, sin separates them from eternity. The Israelites, who were God's chosen people, they lacked devotion, respect, and love for God. Well, you can read that in your own scripture. And God has given the Israelites his best. Has God given you his best? Absolutely. He gave you his son. I mean, think about it. These people that are showing contempt and going through the motions of what God has done for them. He rescued them from slavery under the Egyptians. He led them and fed them through the desert wilderness for 40 years. He showed and lied, or he showed and led them into their promised land, to their and he promised to his ancestors, and he allowed them to conquer over their enemies. But here's the thing: they had become so comfortable and taken for granted what God has given them. And here's the thing: sin blinds us to God's goodness. If we allow sin in our life, it blinds us to God's goodness and blessings along the way of life. So we should think that we are missing something. In verses 6 through 9, we saw that God handed down two judgments to the Israelites. Number one, they showed him no honor. Matter of fact, some translations say in verse 6 that you have shown contempt or disrespect for my name. And they also showed him no reverence whatsoever. The priest slighted God by offering less than sacrifices that people would bring for their sins. 
Folks, instead of bringing their best as a sacrifice to God, they brought what they deemed was good enough. Let me throw this into the tip jar and move on. I know I should give God my best, but I could get more for this lamb at the market, so I'm going to give him this knockoff that uh, has got a blemish in it. They insulted God with their actions by saying, God, you are not good enough for the best. And whether it be with our money, whether it be with our time, whether it be with our service, if we are holding back even point one percent of our best for God, we are doing the same thing. Just point zero zero one percent. If God does not get our best, he is not getting our best. There is no worship of God with true sacrifice and repentance. If there is no sacrifice and worship, there is no repentance. And if there is no repentance, there's no sacrifice. Verses 10 through 14, we see that God is not impressed with half-hearted worship. God wishes in verse 10 that they would just close the doors because they were washing or wasting their time and His. Folks, do not waste time at church with half-hearted worship. Be all in all the time. Right, Dabo? Let me show you this. I saw this article the other day. Churches are closing today. This is dated November 18th by Rudy Gray in The Courier. So this is not some other place. This is South Carolina. Churches are closing today. He says that South Carolina ranks 7th in the nation, in population growth per square mile and is growing over three times faster than the national average. Nineteen of the state's 46 counties are in the top 25% of the fastest-growing counties in America. However, with the population growing, South Carolina Baptist Convention's churches as a whole are not growing. Recently, the conventions commissioned Tom Carniger to prepare an up-to-date statistical analysis of the demographic and, and psychological changes occurring in our state. And he observed this. This is what he said. He said, many churches are likely out of sync in the communities where they now find themselves. It is estimated that approximately 88% are affected by this and now have either plateaued, meaning that the church has kind of got this, or they're actually declining. 88%. And this is not just the good old legacy churches like ours. Even church plants, there are some that they plant, they go, they die, and they plant somewhere else. We need as a church to start thinking about a word. That word is revitalization. Revitalization. That means we don't worship like we've always done, but we worship the way God is leading us to worship. We serve not the way we've always served, but the way God is leading us. We do things that God is leading us to do and put away the stuff that he's not asking us to do. He noted that churches are going to have to change even faster than ever before to keep up with the changing community and societal conditions they are likely facing. I think of, and I'm sure I've told you all this before, but I remember 
even in student ministry, and the same is true with with pastoring or leading worship. I mean, Tammy can can tell you as well as I can, and anybody can, is that if we don't if we don't always evolve with what's going on, then we're going to get stale. I remember as a youth pastor, some of my first jobs. Okay, I sat down and I had a clip art book. Remember clip art books? And you put it on the copier, you get out the one you want, and you cut it out and you slap it with glue on another piece of text that you put together, and then you put that on the copier, and then you put it on a postcard, then you address all the postcards, and then you mail them out for 20 cents a piece. But if you do bulk rate, if you have 200, you get 12 cents a piece. Three years later, I found myself writing emails. I found myself with a computer I never had to cut out of a clip art book again, praise the Lord. And then after email, there's this thing called Instant Messenger where you can talk to anybody, anytime, anywhere. And then it just kept progressing and compressing into now, as a church and as a ministry, you've got to have a Facebook page. You've got to have a website. You've got to have phone technology. You've got to have all of these things. When years ago, a, a clip art book and some scissors and a piece of tape and a copier was all you needed. I'm still sharing the same message with websites that I did with a clip art book. But if I were to depend upon doing a clip art book today and doing mail outs, number one, it would break the bank of the church because as much as postage costs us today. And number two, people would throw it in the trash because they say, what is this ancient stuff? But still, sometimes when it comes to worship, we're still in clip art books. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that, that we have a rich tradition of worship at Southern Baptist, that Homeland Park Baptist Church has a rich tradition of worship. But if we expect everybody to change to be like what we want, the way it used to be back in the day, we are fooling ourselves. And we will be another one of these statistics. Because our worship begins to go through the motions. There are churches, thank God it's not ours, but there are churches in this association, from what John tells me, that there are churches in this association that they don't care if people like the way they worship or not. They're going to do it the way they've always done it. And if they close the doors, they close the doors. And they're about to do that. We've got to quit going through the motions. The point I'm trying to make here is that going through the motions of worship as a church will kill it. Not only will it kill your spiritual life, If I am just here and Tammy and I are just here to entertain you for an hour and we go home, we have all lost a valuable opportunity. If we go through the motions of worship as a church, it will kill it. And you know what? People will just pick up and go to another one. Very few people have loyalty to any church, organization, denomination, or any type of of social structure these days. The difference between churches closing the day and the temple that we see in Scripture that the Israelites were dependent upon everything at the temple. Today, if you don't like this church, you can go to the one down the street. If you don't want to go to the one down the street, you can go to the one in the strip mall across from that street. 
You can go wherever you want to go. You can find whatever you want to do. But in the temple back in the day when God was reprimanding the Israelites, and Malachi is writing about it, at the temple is where they found sacrifice. The temple is where they gained forgiveness of sins. The temple is where they held their festivals. The temple is where the feasts were held. The temple is where they brought their offerings. So without the temple, the nation would cease to function. It would be worse than a government shutdown. Because at this point in Scripture, if they wanted forgiveness of sins, if they wanted to worship God, they had to go to the temple. Because if they didn't, Jesus hasn't died yet. And that was all they had. And God was saying, look, you're making me sick. God is not being petty here, folks. He is asking us to love and be devoted to him for the amount that he deserves. Do you find it easy? Let me ask you this. Do you find it easy when you're out in public and you hear a child talk back to or sass their parent or grandparent? How does that go over with you? Myrtle, I tell you, if they do it again, I'm going to jerk that kid up myself and teach him a lesson. My kids didn't do that. Why does it make you so mad? Because you know that they should respect their parents. You know that they should respect their authority. You know that you should, they should respect and love them. Folks, when we give God anything less than our best in worship, it is the same type of offense. Because He is worth our best every day. Going through the motions of worship, again, as a church, will kill it. The second thing we see in verses 7 through 12 of chapter 3, so go over a couple of chapters. Chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, we see that going through the motions, going through the motions of worship is proven in the amount that you give. Let's read verses 7 through 12 of chapter 3. Verse 7 says, man, it's dark up here. The lights are on, but it's dark. Verse 7, Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees, failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And he says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. So bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the window of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, and I will guard them from the insects and the disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be in such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Folks, 
The amount we give is determined by God's word and our hearts. I heard one brother tell me one time, well, you know, I don't really believe in tithing. I said, good for you. Good for you. I don't see how someone can read passages like this and say that that is not biblical. I had one brother I was talking to the other day. Well, actually, it's several months ago, almost maybe a year ago. And we were sitting around with the family, and, and he wasn't a member here, and he was just one of these extended members. He was going to bless me with some knowledge. He said, you know, full-time vocational pastors are not in the Bible. Really? Really? He said, yeah, they're, they're not in the Bible. There's nothing about being a full-time pastor in the Bible. I said, okay. What about the priest? Where the Israelites had to bring the first parts of their blessings to run the temple and to feed the priest. And, to be, and so you see these things. And as I've been reading through the Old Testament and the yearly Bible reading plan, you are, you are reminded that God set up the tithe. As I said tonight and as I say during the morning, whenever we take an offering, it's, it's not about the amount, but it's, about, it's an act of worship. And look, I as the pastor will be held accountable for every penny that is given to this church. Our treasurer, our deacons, our leadership. We, we are held uh, to account by the government the way we spend our money and how we spend it and the, the work that Cindy does to keep us in line with all the taxes and all that kind of stuff like that. You have no idea what goes into all that. But at the end of the day, when I put my head down on my pillow at night, i got to know that whatever was given to this church was given for the glory of God. That's my job as pastor. But also, as a member of this church, i got to give him my best. Even as a pastor, i got to tithe. Not because I'm trying to impress you. But because I know that when I didn't tithe, a long time ago, many years ago, in a different situation, it wasn't working out. Our money was a mess. There was part of my life that I had given over to God, and it wasn't until I gloriously did what God is asking them to do here that I realized the difference. Because the amount we give is determined by God's word, but also our hearts. You hear me say almost every Sunday that tithing is between God and the gifter and the giver according to his word. Is it biblical? Absolutely. Does God expect it? Absolutely. You see, people will give the best of their resources, their time, their talent, and their money to get something that they can use on themselves. However, serving God is not always a priority to everybody. Someone who tithes, if someone is a tither, they are, he or she is committed to God and the mission of our church. But every church has a few type of givers. Now remember, I'm not, this is not a tithing sermon per se, but tithing is worship, folks. That's what God is saying here. And so in any church you have the over and aboveers. Then you have the minimums. Some people that give the over and the above. Some people that give the minimum, the 10% or whatever. There are some people that tithe on what they bring home on the check after taxes. And there are some that tithe on what they get before they're taxed. 
So you got the over and aboveers, the minimizers, then also the tippers. Remember when Odell was still here? I'd ask him just jokingly. I said, okay, Odell, did we get tithes or tips this morning? He always got a kick out of that. Tithes or tips. So you got the over and aboveers, the minimums, the tippers, and then the worst, the moochers. The moochers, the moochers are usually the loudest and the first to complain about what the church is not doing, and they will be the first to ask you where the reimbursement slips are. But they are just here to get what they can get. God is not pleased with it. After reading this passage, what do you think God's thoughts are about the over and aboveers? How do you think God views the minimums? How do you think God views the tippers? And how do you think God views the moochers after you read what he tells the Israelites in Malachi chapter 3? One time during a bath time, a little baby brother and sister were playing Noah's Ark, and there was an old shoebox. So after the flood waters receded, the children decided to present an offering to God. So the boy playing the part of Noah said to Mrs. Noah, his sister, let's offer one of your toy animals as a sacrifice. No, she protested, let's use one of yours instead. So after a time of arguing, the girl ran into their attic. Moments later, she emerged with an old toy lamb. It was dingy. It was dirty. The tail was severed from its body. And she said, here, she said, let's use this as our sacrifice. We will... Never play with it again anyway. You see, sadly, this story illustrates the motivation that often characterizes our hearts when it comes to God. We give God what's left and not the best. That's what the Israelites were doing. And also we see here that a tithing problem is a heart problem. A tithing problem is a heart problem. Don't throw the Israelites under the bus because you and I have the tendency to do the very same thing, is to wander. I think of my favorite hymn, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The Israelites had misallocated their funds. They chose to selfishly keep and use what they had been using to honor God with. They began to use it on themselves. And this giving was a direct indicator of their value of God's worth in their lives. God wasn't worth much, so he didn't get their best. Let me ask you something. How much is God worth to you? How do you put a price on that? Could you ever even pay God what he is worth? No. The third thing we see is our worship will be judged. As we look in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it says, The Lord of heaven's army says the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing 
in his wings. Yes, for those of you following along, that is referencing Jesus. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to the pasture. On the day when I act, you will find or you will tread upon the wicked as they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. As a believer in Jesus Christ, our future is secure. When we start talking about judgment, I am glad to know that my future and the future of those that I love, most of them, their future is secure because we see because of what Jesus has done for us. This is the difference that Jesus makes. This is why we worship him. With our best. You and I don't have to fear the day of judgment. We can look forward to it. For our salvation is secure. For the unsaved, their punishment is also sure. In verse 4, we remember to obey the law of Moses. Remember he says, remember the law? What does that mean? God is saying, if you want to know what I want from you, just read it. It's not rocket science. If you want to know my plan for your life, just read it. It talks about Malachi into the Old Testament with a cliffhanger. He talks about the fact that Elijah has come. We see that Jesus references John the Baptist as being the one who was Elijah in Matthew 17. Also, we see the day of the Lord is coming, so we need to repent now or suffer the curse. In our worship of God, we are to offer our best, not what is left over. God is worthy of our worship and our sacrifice. And our worship of God suffers when we focus more on the needs of this life rather than our eternal life. So I'll close with this statement. Half-hearted worship leads to a powerless faith, a defeated spirit, and a diminished view of God. So, folks, as we worship and conclude tonight, go home and think about the way God has spoken to you and be grateful that we could open his word and sing and praise together. And when you come back, whatever day you come back to worship, I want you to come hungry, hungry to worship, hungry to give, and hungry to receive what God has for you. Because is God worth anything but our best? No, ma'am. No, sir. He deserves our best. And if we don't give it to him, he'll know it. God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you that we can worship you this way tonight. I thank you that Malachi has warned us about taking lightly our worship of you. And Lord, I know in a lot of ways we're preaching to the choir here. But Lord, uh, we're going to be the models for those that are watching. So Lord, I just, I know in my life, It was just a swift kick in the pants to remind me of your awesomeness and that I should not let daily schedules dictate a taking you for granted. And Lord, I pray that you others see the same. You are an awesome God. And thank you for this night. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.